Hello, everyone. Welcome to this edition of the e-commerce insights podcast. I'm your host, Scott DeGrossier, founder and CEO of Wicked Reports. Today, I have with me Mark Roberge, former CRO of HubSpot, managing partner at Stage 2 Capital, Harvard Business School teacher and lecturer. How you doing, Mark? Thanks for coming on. Yeah, you bet, Scott. Good to, good to be here with you. We're only this awkward. We're like half a mile away from each other physically, but we're still zooming. <laughs> I know. I know. The plan was to be on your deck to get some more of that tasty uh, juice you have in your fridge. <laughs> you know? nice. So I'm on, uh, I'm on tea right now. Green tea. Me too. Yeah. Cheers. It's nice. Interesting how much caffeine is not so great, you know? So, you know, we're mostly e-commerce and in, in 10% SaaS in the audience, but I felt there was a lot of parallels in, in what you teach from when I've seen you present at HubSpot's annual events and I've seen some of your YouTube videos and whatnot. And in particular, you know, with the Apple iOS changes, e-coms are going to have to focus a lot more on first-party data and retention and repeating of your customers. It's a new take on on your philosophies and, and on your structure that's been very successful for SaaS. I know we follow some of those principles you have, but you know, I thought it'd be interesting to kind of walk through how that looks from an e-com perspective. I thought that'd be pretty cool, kind of different for you too, you know? Oh, I'd love it. I, I'm going to learn too, because I do believe this framework is applicable beyond SaaS. And I, I, I know it is because I've used it in those situations. And I'm, I have a hunch that it's highly applicable e-commerce. So I'm, this will be a fun 20 minutes because I think it'll be fun to kind of wrestle with this with you. So maybe I could just give the audience a little bit of context on it. So as Scott had mentioned, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. The last startup I did as part of the founding team at HubSpot and, and spent nine years as their chief revenue officer, took them to the IPO, and then was recruited into Harvard Business School to, to build and teach the first courses in sales and revenue generation. Uh, in fact, I'm teaching a course to spring on growth, which is a very cool and applicable topic, like so growth as defined in Silicon Valley. Like growth hacking is not the right word, but growth marketing, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Um, so that that's kind of my 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 jam. That's you know, that's I guess I'm a scholar of that that capability. And when I when I went over to HBS, I spent a day a week with a different startup every quarter, helping them with their go-to-market team, and probably did that with like 15 companies over a couple of years. A third of which are over a billion dollars worth over a billion now. A third of which are does, and a third of which are somewhere in between. Right. So I, I had this interesting opportunity to like reflect on the patterns, and really the patterns on the successes was how they answered two questions, when to scale sales and how fast. And that's really what I've built this framework on because I do find many entrepreneurs and and business owners are confused about those two questions. And so I've largely done them in a SaaS context, but I do think it's highly applicable e-commerce. So the framework has three sequential steps, which is product market fit, go-to-market fit, and then growth and moat with very clear North Star definitions, like very data-driven definitions of what each one means. And I think there's a lot of confusion in the entrepreneurial ecosystem as to like what those mean and, and, and that lead to like how fast to scale. So I think we can play around with that in the, in the e-commerce setting, Scott. Well, I know, yeah, normally people are always just obsessed with growth and at all costs, at whatever algorithms, whatever's going to get them there. And I recall, I still have uh, a few screenshots from the presentation. 
because it was like uh, I, I have the slide up. I'll throw it up on the for people watching nice. the YouTube channel. Easier to accelerate growth with world class retention than fix retention while maintaining growth. So it's kind of like premature growth. Yeah, you know. And, yeah, so that's kind of like that's the first question I'd have for you, Scott. Because if we that that's sort of the first question is if you if you ask ten entrepreneurs when do you scale sales, they'll say when I have product market fit, but when you ask them what product market fit is, you get 10 different answers and, and more than half of them are around a revenue number, like when I hit a million in revenue. And I think that's very wrong. Like selling a million dollars worth of software, like that is, I don't think that has anything to do with product market fit. I mean, that's like market message fit. You know, you can sell ice to Eskimos. You know what well, I mean? It's like a bleeding market. Like we came into marketing attribution, and it was a bleeding market for SMBs. It was no one even under, had the concept of tracking success. Yeah. So we had a yeah. bunch of bad fits that came in, and we went up really fast, and it was it got really stressful because all these people, and they just didn't. They shouldn't even have been work, looking at attribution. They had like. $300,000 businesses, which that's an achievement, but it's not like you don't have time to dive into marketing attribution that small. Or if you're, if you're doing a bunch of info products and you're having a high return rate, so like you need multiple payment processes because you're getting banned because of so many info, you know, the ClickBank type salespeople, the products that return a lot, they're dealing with like 10% return rates, 15% return rates. And I'm like, you know, you got bigger fish to fry than, you know, so we were a bad fit for that. And that could be the same thing yeah. with e-com. Yeah, let's do it for your business. Courses, high return yeah. rates. Let's do it for your business and then think about e-commerce. So like, yeah, I mean, product market fit, I don't think has anything to do with revenue. It's, so that is the first step is product market fit in, in the framework. But I believe the best measure of product market fit is customer retention. Okay, so especially in the world of SaaS that, that, that I live in in software. Now, the problem with retention in the world of software is a lot of these companies don't know their true retention until a year after they've acquired these customers. Mm -hmm. And that's just not, we have to learn fast and that's not fast learning, right? So, so the, the key is to uncover your leading indicator of customer retention. That's a big thing we need to be talking about. And that, that's what we would have to do for your business. In, in Silicon Valley, they often call that the aha moment or, you know, whatever it might be. And so there's some good examples out there. Like uh, Slack's was if, if someone sent 2000 team messages, if a company downloaded mm -hmm. Slack and then, or started using Slack and then sent 2000 team messages, that was, that was their leading indicator attention for Dropbox is like obviously backing up their files within an hour. And for HubSpot, I know because we studied it closely, it was if they used five or more features in our platform within 60 days. So they all, they, a good definition takes the shape of P percent of customers do E event and T time. So you're essentially choosing these three variables, P percent do E event and T time. The, the P and the T are pretty easy. Like it's usually between 60 and 80%. And I don't think it really matters what you pick. The T is pretty easy too. Like it just depends like how hard it is to adopt your product. Like Dropbox is an hour <laughs> and something like Workday where you're downloading a friggin' like entire HR system for a hundred, you know, a fortune 100 company that could be like six months. It's just the nature. Mm -hmm. I think 30 days is, is usually the, the target. What can you do like 30 days? And then the E event, that's the key. That's where like entrepreneurial innovation comes about, you know, Slack 2000 team message, Dropbox, back up your files. HubSpot, five or more features. So let's 
let's talk about your company, Scott. Like, so did you, did you ever uncover that like leading indicator attention or you have a hunch of what it is? So we know when they're first adopting or onboarding, it's tracking health. We have to track over 70% of the orders within a certain, nice. within the 30 Wonderful. days. That's Wonderful. the health. Beautiful. Now, the second part though, is the uh, starting to mature we have all we have Google Analytics, so it was perfect timing. I went, I came across these slides. I was like, "Oh my God!" Because we need that. Uh, just determining how to incentivize the customer success team. So nice. this is going to be therapy yes, for me here. Exactly. And I was like, "Okay, so it's not how fast they do it. I mean, retention, of course, is the overall measure. But what's that? Hey, I know we're going to retain these people because not only is the data healthy, but we know they're doing the right things." And so I was trying. I, I don't know the magic number of features right now. We we have all the data. I just have, I'm, what yeah, I would just say like, don't, I don't know. Like it, it can be as simple as they set up the product or they process yeah. the first transaction. That's usually what it is. And you know, it's, it's not going to hurt your company to, <laughs> if you focus on that and it happens to not be correlated with long-term retention. I mean, like that's, <laughs> this is, it's such a better North star right now than revenue at yeah. that early sequence. So, so that, that's cool. And I think the audience gets the point and and just to kind of fill the loop here is not only does this framework provide guidance onto the appropriate North Star for the business at the appropriate time, but it also has huge implications on your optimal go-to-market system design. Who do you hire for a salesperson? How do you compensate them? How do you price the product? What sales playbook do you run? Right. So at this stage, if you've established that your North Star, let's just say, Scott, for your new product, it's that they, they set it up and, and process a transaction. Mm -hmm. Or like start processing data. Okay. That's a great North star. So if we were at that stage of the business, what kind of salesperson do you hire? If you were to hire one, definitely not the coin operated commission driven rep. Like that, that person is going to go out and like pitch your product and the customer is going to say yes or no. And you're it, probably no a lot. And it just doesn't work. Like you need mm -hmm. someone that's going to be very curious, do great customer discovery, understand what the customer wants, and then be able to communicate that back to you and your product team. Like this person is almost like half product manager, half salesperson, right? Mm -hmm. So, and that's going to change when we move forward in the framework. But right now that's your sales hire because that all you're trying to do is get people to be successful. And the commission plan and the pricing model don't mean anything. Like you, you know, I, I wouldn't even at this stage of a bit that, that business now you're beyond it now, Scott, but like when I'm coaching entrepreneurs at this stage, it's like, dude, I don't care what your pricing model is. You price for commitment, not profitability. You know, you say stuff like, Hey, listen, it sounds like what we've built is aligned with what you've been looking for and need. I'm going to be charging 20,000 a year for this thing when we're out and at scale, I'm just looking for 10 beta customers to give a 90% discount to for the first year. Do you want to be one, right? Price for commitment, not profitability. Mm -hmm. You're just looking for those at bats to show that people consistently set your product up and run transactions. Yeah. Does that make sense, Scott? It does. It does. Because we've now, our prices, we raised them twice. So we're now double from when we started. Because you're in a different stage low. now. Back then, when you're first in this product market fit journey, that's the advisable thing. Now, let's talk about e-commerce, though. So help, help me paint the generic e-commerce listener and let's see if this fits. So like they're okay. just starting out. They're just starting sure. out. Let's use, uh, because I'll, I'll, I can speak very directly to his data. Let's talk to my, my lobster friend. So he started out, get, creates a store, crickets, no one buys. And, and he's, a, he's a lobster fisherman? 
No, Lobsterman? not actually. He just knew one. <laughs> he's okay, so he he's but he's guy. selling lobsters. Yep, and so he's he's uh, selling online. Okay, middleman cool. selling them. So he does what he does at first to get going and to get to his first million was heavy discount. So he sell the lobsters. He deliver live lobsters or frozen tails or whatever. Yep. frozen, and so they mark the price way up and do massive discounts. So it attracts yeah. the customers that only want discount stuff. You know, yeah. he's, he can't just get people to come in and buy at a reasonable price. They have to know about the deals through the email. There's all these complications, but it did get revenue going because he had these. Yeah. Yeah. So in that out. case, I would say there's not a very challenging product market fit journey, but there is one because what the, what's new about his situation, relatively new, is ordering and, and waiting and shipping. Right, like normally when people want lobster, they walk down to their fish, you know, local fish store, and they buy lobster, <laughs> you know, exactly. And then, or or if like they live in Iowa, they go to like probably out to a nice restaurant that actually has it, right? Yep. So so that's the product market fit is like, will someone actually order? Like, how long does it take if I'm in Iowa a day? Yeah, one to two days. So so I think that's the product market fit is number one, are people willing to like think this far ahead? You know, be like, I might want lobster on Thursday, right? So like, are they willing to do that? And number two is, does it work? Like, does it get there and it's still fresh and they mm -hmm. cook it and enjoy And does it taste good? Are they cool doing this? So, so for in this case, that's what I would focus on is like, listen, I just want to ship like 25 lobsters. And I want, in this case, I think my lead indicator attention is a review. Yep. And I think that's probably going to come up a lot in e-commerce. I mean, this is your world, but I think that's my lead indicator of retention is my first goal is not half a million of lobster or like 20,000 in lobster sales. Like my first goal is I'm going to ship 20 lobsters and I want 10 five-star reviews or like 10, four or five. Star. I don't know what's realistic. Yeah. But you know what I mean? That's my first goal. And so I don't, and I don't know how to influence reviews, but at least I'm focused on the right thing. And that's going to create the flywheel for the business, if you if you ship 20 lobsters and you get like a bunch of one or two star reviews, you have to restart your business. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you got no repeat you're done. business coming. You're done. Yeah. But no, if you that, that ship 20 weight. lobsters and you get 10 five star reviews, you're gonna get 200 orders tomorrow. I mean, you tell me. No, that, so spot. that works because then his next challenge as he moves up to the, the middle tier was, okay, I need to increase my cart size and not have people so dependent on discounts. Okay. So and that's a good order. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So that's, that's the next step is go to market fit. Okay. So we understand product market fit, right? It's, it's people it's like, are happy. It's just consistently creating customer success that leads to customer attention. And notice I, I talk nothing about scale or profitability. Okay. So the founder of Y Combinator, who's also the co-founder of Microsoft, uh, Paul Graham, he talks about at this stage, do unscalable things early. It's beautiful advice at that point, right? Like, I have friends who run very successful software businesses that when they were at this stage, they were flying to customer sites to personally onboard them, despite the fact that that customer was paying them $50 a month. Okay? <laughs> I mean, that, that is not scalable. That is not profitable, but that is beautiful behavior at this point. And so this lobster, I mean, if I were doing this lobster business, I would be shipping these lobsters. I would be calling the customer that day. Did it show up? Is it okay? Ooh. Do you want any advice on how to cook it right? He you know what I mean? That. Like he loved that. He's very yeah. I mean, at that's yeah, at that stage, right? right? That. That's not going to scale when you're selling 200 lobsters a day where we want to get. But that's the point at this stage. Now, once we've checked that box, 
and we have our 10 five-star reviews. We went 10 for 20 in five in five-star reviews, right? Then we go to go-to-market fit. We go to the next stage. And all that means is we have now proven that we can create customer value consistently. Now we have to show that we can do that consistently and profitably, profitably and scalably, right? So now in the world of software, all of a sudden the sales playbook matters, like a, a scalable sales playbook. You need that. You need a good pricing model. And if you're going to, and you need a good commission plan for your reps, you need a scalable demand gen channel, right? Like the lobster guy, like I would just, I would friggin' like call up my cousins in Iowa and just be like, who likes lobster out there? You know what I mean? Like, I don't care <laughs> if it's scalable at that point. I'm just looking for like people to try it with. But, but now I need a scalable demand gen channel, right? And so e-commerce companies are great at this, like paid, paid, you know, ad, social advertising, SEO, you know, what, whatever it might be. Okay. So you have to develop that. And so the North star at this point is what we often talk about in SaaS. And I think they talk a lot about in e-commerce is unit economics. Okay. Mm -hmm. So why do we talk about unit economics and not gap accounting profitability? It's because unit economics isolates the costs in the business that are going to grow as revenue grows. That's what unit economics does, right? And so in the world of SaaS and software, we talk about things like lifetime value to customer acquisition cost ratios. We talk about things like payback periods, like how long does it take for me to reap, uh, to, to get back the cost of acquiring the customers as they pay software for me. In e-commerce, I think it's really just like, I don't know, I guess I could go LTV. I think it's really just a marginal revenue minus marginal cost type play. I don't know if you guys talk about this stuff, but. So they, they look at return on investment for mm -hmm. the acquisition and then mm -hmm. after product costs though. So yeah. So you basically marginal revenue minus marginal cost. So you just take marginal revenue, which would be the, the, you know, the revenue minus the cost of the product. So that's basically the gross margin for the product. And then you subtract the marginal cost. Yes. And that, so you, we have to get that above zero, right? So, <laughs> so, so that's, that's the North star at the go-to-market fit stage. And I just rattled off all the things that matter in software. I think in an e-commerce business, the things that matter is mostly your acquisition channel, you know, like your, your paid marketing thesis, which is what you said and your price, your price is going to matter a lot, right? So, so we're basically saying price and marketing channel does not matter in phase one product market fit. Just try to get many customers to love that lobster and give you five-star reviews at all costs. Call them up, whatever. Call yeah. your cousins, like whatever, okay? But then once we get to the go-to-market fit phase in an e-commerce business, price matters a ton, marketing channel matters a ton. I don't think there's anything else. Maybe, maybe actually, you know, there's a lot more. I, over, I often overstate the sort of the, whether there's a manufacturing piece or any sort of operations piece, because it doesn't matter that much in software, but in this case, it will matter is like any sort of operational efficiency on like delivery and that kind of stuff. No, I'd agree with you there. And then I'm wondering what I was thinking about is like, so the ones that get to 10 mil plus look at customer lifetime value a lot, heavy, heavier, and then multi-channel marketing, right. so, like so not we have just to one channel. You're right. So we have to factor in the lifetime value. That's that because because it might be such that we if we just look at this as a single transaction, someone buys a lobster, and we've figured out that like shit, we lost ten bucks on that. They bought four lobsters. It cost you know hundred bucks, and it cost us you know 
80 bucks. So we made 20 bucks. However, it cost us 30 bucks to acquire that customer. So like, this is yep. bad business, but that's not true if they order the lobster every month. Mm -hmm. Right. So we have to, factor, five, we have 10, to think about 10, lifetime 10. value there. Mm -hmm. And so how do they calculate that in e-commerce? So they use wicked reports actually. Awesome. <laughs> that's what we do. So we have a lot of lifetime value. We'll, we'll hook up Shopify against, uh, we, you know, not a lot of e-com uses HubSpot, but let's say they did. HubSpot against Shopify, for example, mine, when did the lead get created versus the revenue and how long did it take? So you can do customer acquisition at break even or run slightly negative up. We, we can tell you how long till you should be positive in a campaign. And then you know how long you can spend, you know, at a negative ROI rather than trying to just positive ROI day one. Um, in particular, that comes into play when you're doing on Facebook, a lot of products the leads take time to buy and people, even though it's e-com, everyone thinks just try to get them to buy. But if you throw a, a lead capture up in front of them, even if it's just redirecting them to the offer, you capture the lead and then you, they close on email. Well, exactly. Facebook or uh, Google was the acquisition source and it yeah. just turned out they took 20 days to close. Sure. Exactly. And then that compound ROI, you can see pretty massive ROIs when you, when you hit. I mean, it's 80-20 rule. You know, most of them will flame out, but you find those pockets of audiences that love your stuff or some of the Google, new Google audience targeting is pretty strong. Yeah, so, and then, and then, so once you have the go-to-market fit, you've worked that out, then you get into growth and moat. And in the software world, the mistake that people do is they hire too many reps too fast. And, you know, really the, the teaching I need to do is, is to have them think about, scale, not as like a one-time mass hiring of 15 salespeople, but instead establishing a pace. And this is actually, I think, going to be applicable to e-commerce and probably something your software does. But like what I do is say, okay, now let's, let's start hiring one salesperson, two salespeople every other month. And let's see what happens now. See if it works. Now what most companies do when they're, they're like, see if it works is they wait for the quarterly P and L to come out. And, they, and that's, that's like representative of what happened in your business six months ago. So what, what we'll do is we'll, we've set up the lead indicators of retention to measure, to measure product market fit. And we've also set up lead indicators of, of unit economics to measure go-to-market fit, right? So as opposed to waiting you know, for someone to like renew and do all this kind of stuff and that sales cycle to go through, we're looking at lead indicators like you know, how many opportunities are being created? What's the close rate? What's the, the sales cycle? So in the e-commerce side, I mean, it's a lot more transactional. So maybe that's the lead indicator aspect maybe isn't as important, but things like, you know, web traffic and conversions and nurturing cycles and that kind of stuff. And so we're looking at those, those dashboards and that's what I call the speedometer. So that's really the lead indicator of how my business is doing. And if I start adding reps and those things stay green, I can go faster and if they go red, I know really early and I can fix. So maybe I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just projecting that that might be the parallel to e-commerce is, hey, now that you've set up these dashboards around the lead indicator attention, like, are you getting the same rate of five-star reviews as your success staying stable? And your lead indicators are unit economics, which is you know, your, your conversion rate to purchase, your nurturing cycles, your repurchase cycles. I'm just, I'm just guessing here. Sprinkling like money on top of your social media campaigns or whatever. And you start with like, let's, let's throw an extra like 50,000 and see what happens. And if they stay green, let's go to 100,000. If they stay green, we'll go to 150,000. Because, you know, everyone knows that these, these channels are eventually going to saturate.
or things will change. The economy changes, the competitive landscape changes, whatever. And so, you know, very early, but I'm just projecting there, Scott. Well, no. So yeah, you'd keep the same indicator. On, it'd be by cohort. The people that are the first time buyers, what's the percentage reviews that are five star? Yes. Wonderful. And then, and then the ones that have been around for over 90 days, how many have repeat purchased? Is the rate going up or down? Yes. It's awesome. Value on the second is it up or down. And then the ROI is more of a 90 day game, but it, you know, you can look at your 90 day ROI and saying, Hey, as long as it's positive in 90 days, I can pour it on because I'm not trying to say, Hey, come buy my stuff day one and they have to close. Exactly. That's awesome. All three. It's a great, Hold up pretty well. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. That's nice. A uh, couple questions for you on marketing uh, data too. If we got a few, we get, so we got a few minutes left here, marketing attribution, you know, you were the CRO at HubSpot. So this is applicable to e-com too, though. What, what did you use for marketing attribution back then? Or was there even... We have? hacked our own stuff. I mean, we largely used our tool, but like it, you, it took some, yeah, I get, we pretty much just used our tool, right? So we did first touch attribution and the tool measured that. So mm -hmm. we, we would understand where, what a lead converted. First off, like, let's say someone came to our website and didn't convert, then obviously we created a cookie on them. The, the software created a cookie on them such that if they came back a week later, and that time downloaded an ebook. We knew that wasn't a direct visit. It was from the original week before where they mm -hmm. had come from an organic search for like marketing strategies, right? Yep. So we did first, first touch attribution on original visit. And so then if that came from an SEO search, then we would attribute that to organic search. And if that ended up being a, a sale, that's where that would come from. Nice. So yeah, it was, but it's complicated, you know, with B2B because you have stuff that comes from marketing and then you have, you also have salespeople that are like cold calling accounts and going to trade shows and that kind of stuff. And that stuff gets really hard in software because when you're scaling a business, you eventually get to, you'll have goals. Like we're going to try to get like 30 million in revenue this year. And we want half of it to come from marketing generated leads and half of it to come from sales generated leads. And so if, if all of a sudden like sales gets like a meeting with a really big account, like the, the way you set up the goals, marketing is disincented to help, right? Marketing is, they wants to shut down marketing to that account because they're not going to get credit, but that's the exact opposite behavior that you actually want to have happen. Like if we, if all of a sudden we got a meeting with a, with a mid-level manager, we want to triple down on marketing. Yeah. to retarget the hell out of them at that point. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> So that's where it gets really tricky. And I actually haven't even met, I've asked a lot of really big, big name CMOs how to handle that. And I don't think there's brilliant stuff out there. It's just a very hard problem. No, it is. Um, you know, when, when we try to track that for people, it works. We can create a, a timeline of the user, but there's still that custom event tagging that a sales rep has to do. And they, you know, they're just trying to make mm -hmm. sales. They're not going to follow process. Exactly. <laughs> At least not usually well exactly. enough. How important is uh, accurate customer lifetime value to marketing attribution? Like, did you guys have it there or how did you calculate? Yeah. I mean, we got, we had everything come down. We all, we measured all of our channels, you know, organic versus paid versus email trade shows. We measured lifetime value to CAC ratios and payback periods. You know, the, and I actually teach a really intense case on this at, at HBS on at attribution. And at the end of the day, like our faculty's position and those that are very close to practice is it's never going to feel perfect, but you just need to have like, you need to try and, and just be consistent in how you do it. 
know, mm-hmm. there's going to be some compromises to it, but it's going to be better than just throwing up your hands and not doing it. We would get it all the way down. And again, we use mostly a first touch attribution model. Yeah. It's strategic and directional. Uh, one last thing. So why do you think it doesn't seem like none of the top SMB CRMs have fully embraced a marketing attribution solution? Progress been made at HubSpot at least. But wh- why is that? Is it just is it just hard or? <laughs> I think I think we're just like, I think the industry is still just like getting there from an education standpoint. You know, I think it's coming, but I think it's one of those waves that was adopted in the you know in the the basements and hallways of like the companies that are huge where it, it means a lot, and it's just a, it's a science and capability that is coming. You know, because the SMBs are adopting it and succeeding. And when that happens, everybody's going to follow. So I just think we're at a, a certain phase of the uh, adoption curve. Very astute. That's what I've noticed. <laughs> okay. So, you know, we mentioned at the beginning, all the, all the things that you're up to, where can people learn more about your, learn more about you? Yeah. LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. You can just follow me there. Great. Okay. Thanks a lot for your time. Appreciate you coming on the show, Mark. Yeah. You bet, Scott. Thank Take you. Take it easy.